0: Hey, everyone, Jeremy Scheinwald here with another episode of Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Today, our guest is Ellen Chalemba. As a 17-year-old living in Malawi, arguably the poorest country in the world, Ellen determined that she would help change the reality of those around her, particularly the women around her. Ellen launched Tawali roughly translated as Let's Glow, initially as a microcredit program which taught basic business skills as well to those who received loans. Now, Twali helps train women in fabric dyeing and manufacturing and is adding a residential component so that women won't need to travel long distances to and from the center. It's a multifaceted program. So far, more than 40 Malawian women have started businesses and 150 women have learned the basic skills of entrepreneurship. Ellen has grown the organization from an unlikely place as of late, she's a student at Mount Holyoke College near Springfield, Illinois. She's still just in her early 20s and uh, and has been growing the organization remotely for the last couple of years. She's in New York City this summer for an internship at DoSomething.org, and we were fortunate to catch up with her to hear her amazing story. But before we get to Ellen, we're here for Venture for America, organization itself which promotes entrepreneurship. It's a fellowship program for enterprising recent college graduates who launch their careers as entrepreneurs and thus help revitalize America's cities. After five weeks of training, VFA fellows spend two years in the trenches of a startup in an emerging US city where they learn how to contribute to a high growth business. Afterwards, VFA provides the mentorship, network, and resources fellows need to become entrepreneurs. To learn more about Venture for America and support our work, you can visit ventureforamerica.org. A tiny bit about me, I launched the Mission Driven Group so many years ago. Check out my firm at MissionDrivenGroup.com, and please remember to like our show on iTunes and to subscribe as well, and follow me on Twitter, at Jeremy Scheinwald. And now, here is our interview with Ellen Shalemba. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or, even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Ellen, thanks so much for being here. No, no, thank you. Um, So I think it's really important to start an interview by by kind of setting the table. I think the average listener that we have Mm -hmm is probably unaware of what it means to be living day-to-day in Malawi, you know, one of the world's poorest countries. So give us a sense of what Malawi is like for the average citizen.
1: Sure. So for the average citizen, which um, Malawi is a very poor country and 70% of our population lives just about the poverty line. And so for the average citizen, it means struggling just to find a day-to-day meal and day-to-day shelter. And so it's a very... um, um, everyone's trying to find whatever opportunities are around, trying to get into whatever new market. And usually it's a very temp- temporary kind of employment per day.
0: And and, and you really focused growing Tuali, you know, on, on women. And can you tell mm-hmm. us what the, what the day-to-day for, for women might be like in, in Malawi?
1: Sure. So the reason why with Tuwali we focus on women is that the – Most affected usually when it comes to finding employment opportunities, um, the ones with the least employment opportunities are women. And the main reason is that for women, just the, the opportunity of attending school is less as most families see other options for women, such as early marriage, prostitution and the like. And so with that, you get this higher percentage of women that do drop out of school as compared to young men. And with that, we have this large population of women that are currently unemployed with little education. And so you find more women who have less, have little education to even find any kind of employment opportunity.
0: And you started, Tiwali, when you saw one particularly difficult, you saw difficult circumstance for one particular woman. Can you tell us what you saw that was so powerful that moved you to action?
1: Sure. So um, when we were thinking about Tuwale, this was me and my friend and we were visiting our target community in Siriza, which is a squatter settlement that formed outside Lilonga, capital city. And so being in Siriza, one thing that you do see is a lot of young women usually just roaming around the streets, trying to find whatever opportunity is there, mostly stay-at-home mums. But then um, for me, I met a 19-year-old who was my age and she was married with three children, and just for me, that time I was 18, and sort of be thinking, thinking that wow, one could be in that situation at 19. I, it just felt as though um, the, the there were no more opportunities that she was looking forward to, as though this was this was it for her that she would be at home for the rest of her life, and for me that really touched me, being a young person with so many dreams of things that we want to see, accomplish, travel, and the like. Mm.
0: So. You 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 started Twali as an 18 year old, 17 th- year old, 18 year old.
1: So the drafting of the project was I was 17 years old then. That was when I was thinking about it, trying to see what kind of model we could use. And then the official launch, I was 18 when we started working with a group of women.
0: That's obviously amazing. Um, did you have any idea where to start? I mean, did you have any business training yourself, or was it just like you mm-hmm. had good instincts and you you trusted yourself?
1: um honestly when I look back at it now I, I don't know what I was doing <laughs> but um I think for me mostly I think this is what's special with doing something when you're young is that the passion is what drives you and usually you don't think about the major roadblocks that could come through later on you're just thinking of doing it and that's what you're focused on so it really started on drafts of papers I um cut up pieces of paper and said okay we're going to these are sort of this was the brainstorm like oh okay we're going to run an education program and then do loans and that time I was reading um Banker to the Poor by Muhammad Yunus which is his story of finding um studying Grameen Bank and he's basically the father of microfinance and so at that time I was like okay cool I want to do something similar in Malawi for young women and so um it was mostly also that inspiration from reading and then trying to make it happen.
0: You know, uh, it's, it reminds me of something someone once said to me. it was something like it was a very successful business person. it said something something like, uh, you know, had I had I had I known more about this business when I started it, I never would have I I never would have moved forward. So it's kind of an ironic thing in that he'd built a huge empire and you know, if you have a little bit of naivete it can actually be quite helpful to you at the beginning, I guess.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree, right? I remember when I got into school I was like, Wow, um, okay. So we've started, this is happening, now there's no way out and I think that's what's great about studying something is that the moment you realize the roadblocks, once you've started with really it's hard to give up.
0: And I mean, I'm just trying to understand where you came from mm-hmm. because you you know, you have you have this, you know, massive amount of poverty around you mm-hmm. and, and yet you had these values and you wanted to go out there and, and make a difference.
1: Mm-hmm. Um
0: you know, just tell us a little bit about your own personal background and where those values came from, and if I don't, do you have role models in your own family that mm-hmm. that were spurring you on or or, or anything like that?
1: Sure. So um, my mother is a major role model for me. She um, she did partial college training, but then had to leave. Um, she got married young, so for her once once she was married, something that I I watched her do was start many businesses. She. Honestly, living in that house, we went through... There was a time when we ran a restaurant that was kind of a food food truck-like style. And then we um we had a store where we were selling second-hand clothes. And then there was a sup- time when we had a supermarket and then went into farming peanuts distribution within the country. And so... With my mom, it's always for her. She's um always jumping into whatever opportunities are there, and um for me, watching her start her own business when I was twelve, I was inspired to also start a business. So I used to bake cakes and sell. And the way I raised money for this, I um I used to save my pocket money and raised about I'd say I think that time must have been thirty dollars, and then bought my first supplies. Baked a few cakes, sold and so for me. Just knowing that I had that small capital startup and could multiply it, I was able to buy a cell phone for myself just from selling my cakes. It was inspiration for me that if if you give someone the opportunity, they can really take it up and make it make it multiply and something come out of it.
0: We have to have your mom on the show now. You know, she's, oh she's yeah, a, she's an experienced entrepreneur.
1: We would we need a longer time because she has so many business <laughs> ideas and just like okay, mama. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So. Um, I'm curious if anyone. It seems to be a very traditional society where you know there are clear gender roles for men and women. Did anyone try and discourage you and say no? This isn't this isn't a role for for you to take in terms of you know taking charge, creating an organization, helping to educate women. Were there people who were just saying no?
1: Yeah, though, um, I mean, I think it started at home. So this is eighteen-year-old me. I just finished what would be the high school equivalent, and I'm back home and taking a gap year. And then I'm saying, oh, I want to go do um, go start this organization. So I think for my parents, I was supposed, I was supposed to be on the college track then, and it was just very stressful for for them. And so they were just like, what are you doing? Who are these women you're working with and the like? And where is this going to take you career-wise? It didn't really make sense then. And then even um, there was a time when we did an interview back home with a radio station and people called in, and there was just, um, just even people from the community were like, oh, why are you only empowering women? Men too need opportunities, which is true. Malawi is a very poor country, and everyone is going through some kind of struggle. And so there were, there were always those um kinds of challenges. And for me also, as a young person, just being at school, there were times when I felt that maybe I would have to choose between my education versus my project. And so there were, there were people that were definitely like, I think you should focus on your education right now and really move forward as a person. And so there have always been those um, p- people discouraged or challenged
0: so you had some people discouraging you. Had your mom mm-hmm. encouraging you? <laughs> mm-hmm. so that obviously you decided to go forward. You raised twelve hundred dollars for mm-hmm. your for your first program, your pilot program.
1: Mm-hmm. Where?
0: Where did you get twelve hundred dollars?
1: Sure. So um, for our pilot project, the I attended the Global Changemakers Makers Global Youth Summit, and with attending that conference, you become eligible to apply for a grant. And so the grant that time was co-sponsored with the British Council. And um, I didn't really think they were going to sponsor us because we were an interest free microfinance project, but went for it with a project proposal. And they they were willing. They said, all right, we're on board. Give it a shot. Let's see how it goes.
0: And and so you then recruited eight people to work with you to launch the first program. Mm -hmm. How did you find eight people who were as passionate and skilled as you were?
1: Sure. So that. That was very challenging because I think with setting a pilot project, just getting everyone on board on what, what exactly was happening. I remember our first program, we, we went through the program and you know, run, run through it. We say, okay, this is how it's going to go. And you're going to teach this, teach that. And then one of the facilitators comes to me and says, I say, so what are we doing again? There's that kind of, um, but finding, finding, finding the team was mostly, um, I did outreach to youth organizations and um, just trying to find young people that were involved in some kind of, com- were looking to get involved in some kind of community work. And so with being Malawian, there's not that many opportunities for young people because the older population already doesn't have that many employment slash um, opportunities to get involved in something. And so as a young person to find a project that was willing to just involve young people, it we, we got a good amount of applications coming in.
0: Right. And, and tell us about the first program. I mean, you had, you had 100 yeah. women, more than 100 women in your first mm-hmm. program. What did they experience?
1: Sure. So the first program, 100 women was not what we planned for. Um, <laughs> so we were talking to Mercy Howard, who is from the comedian series. And she's one of the women that we're working with, the 19-year-old I mentioned. And um, we asked Mercy if she would be willing to gather a group of 10 women that we could start piloting it with. And so we agreed to meet on Monday at lunchtime, um, on one of the schools in Syriza primary school. And we got there and there were one hundred women that were already there waiting. So I I was driving in with my friend and I'm like, Wow, I wonder what's going on here, what kind of event? And then the moment Mercy sees me, she points my way and all those women start moving towards us. It was just it was just very um I don't know, it was very inspiring overwhelming and I also just wanted to dig a hole and bury myself at that point because I wasn't sure exactly um I mean toaller was still a pilot and so I even I myself wasn't confident as much in the idea but um seeing that amount of women that just from word of mouth do show up and say that they're willing to get involved was it was just um testimonial to how m- how m- how many people are looking for opportunities
0: yeah do you, I mean yeah. do you think do you think that you mentioned that it's people were looking for opportunity, and there's mm-hmm. obviously a thirst for growth and development. But mm-hmm. I mean, clearly, you had to have there had to have been trust in you that you could deliver something of, of value. So, mm-hmm. I mean, how did you establish, or, or even you know, even saying okay, these people showed up, but they went mm-hmm. through the they still went through the program. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how did you establish that trust with them? How did you make sure they 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 felt like they wanted to be a part of this and wanted to stick with you through it? I mean, it was. How long was the program?
1: The program was two weeks.
0: Two weeks long. So, so the
1: I, training, yes.
0: So how did you make sure that you that everyone stuck with it and, and believed in it?
1: Yeah. So it was actually um, the way building trust, the way I went in, the way I thought that I had to be as a leader was to sort of be confident and really, sh- because being younger also as compared to majority of the women we were working with, I thought that I really had to act tough. And you know, sh- showcase that I know what I'm doing and this is serious, which was true to convince that amount of women to join us was necessary. But um eventually, I think with better understanding of exactly who we were, mm. that's when the trust actually did start building up. Because uh, when we started acting confidently, people would always ask us, like, so who are you working with again? Where are you getting the funds? And then eventually we told them, like, listen, we are young people that we're Malawians, we're passionate about our country and development and we want to help you and so if this is going to work it's you also have to get involved and so the way we later remodeled was to have some of the women also in leadership positions and um some of them were community representatives we had the chief's wife as one of our board people and so building that trust eventually was about also meeting them halfway and showcasing that we are also learning and we could learn from them and then 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 that's when the magic started to happen where people were actually really involved with it.
0: to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. I read that 33 of of the first 100 women started their Mm -hmm. own, started their own, um, started businesses and repaid loans within 10 weeks. Yes. It's a, that like it just seems baffling to me that that's actually I'm not I'm not mm-hmm. questioning you I'm just like that's that's mm-hmm. just an amazing success rate. Yeah. Can you can you share a few successes? Like what were some of these what were some of these businesses that were being started and and what was the impact on participants?
1: Sure. So um for the businesses um so the way we we laid it out was that we would have a 2-week training program. And then eventually, they would be challenged to be in teams of three, come up with a business plan. And then, the best business plans, we would sponsor them through a micro loan to start up. Um, the businesses that people came up with included. So, the community where we work, seriously, is, is a very poor community, and not many people can afford to buy a whole chicken. But people can afford to buy maybe four parts for their family for that day. And so this team would buy a whole chicken and then they would cut it into 18 pieces. And they were buying a chicken for that time. It was um 1,500 Malawi, 1, Malawi kwacha. And then they would cut it into 18 pieces. They would sell each at about 180. And they were making about 3,000. Malawi kwacha, so it it was a profit of about one thousand five hundred, very small scale. But then they were doing ten chickens per day, and so with the loan that we gave out, it was fifty fifteen thousand Malawi kwacha, which is equivalent to fifty dollars. And from that, they were able to make that fifty dollars in the same day. And so, really small scale. Another business was um one group was buying a crate of fish. They would buy a crate of a 1,000 fish, which no one in the community could afford to buy on their own, but they were buying it as a group. And then they were selling each fish for 30 Malawi question and they were making... Um, they were buying the crate for 10,000 Malawi question and they were making 30,000 in a day. So $50, they invested in buying the crate, and then they make about 150 per day, which was a tremendous sum for them. And so those were the kinds of businesses, very small scale, but then um, we just... Operating in a team is something that it's um, not many women can afford to start a business on their own because they have house responsibilities, they have children. But when you do it in a team, it really lessens the stress. And for instance, someone would take care of the children for the day and then the other two go do the marketing and the like. So bringing in that team aspect was very essential to the community as well.
0: That's amazing. So, are are these businesses that you're that you're mentioning are they still sustaining themselves today? Are some of these still? Are most Mm -hmm. of them still going?
1: Yes, most of them are still going. Of course, now we've um, so now we've shifted towards towards uh, tie dyeing fabric as a as a whole organization. Um, What happened was that in the past three years, the Malawian economy has really been suffering just three months ago, we were the world's poorest country, and so we've gone through several scandals, corruption, and just, um there's a severe drought that's coming. Right now, we're when we're on a UNICEF warning for children, especially access to food and the like. So communities are really suffering. And for us, working with a local market became very difficult. And so we started to look for other opportunities. And one thing that, um, I'm a college student, so one thing that I noticed most of my peers do is um they hang up tapestries in their dorm rooms as decorations. And a lot of people are interested in tie-dyed tapestries. And so we collaborated with a local artist back home to teach the women in the toilet how to tie-dye fabric and then we sell the tie-dye fabric as college dome war wall- hangers and the way it's helping us is that just last year we sold we sold over 80 pieces and we used that to buy land where we're building a women's center so we can continue our production but also provide education classes and then also from that Sales, we're providing women with living stipends, and so right now it's it's less stressful for them. We usually tie dye every Friday, but we're making enough to support the whole group, which which works especially when the economy is suffering and markets are not doing as well.
0: And you know, this this is this be run at such a low cost and and mm-hmm. be so impactful and successful. Like, are, are, what are the constraints for the program? Like, are there are there monetary constraints, or mm-hmm. like why, you know, if if we you know, crowdfunded another twelve hundred dollars, you know, would it would it dramatically impact the program or or, or are there mm-hmm. other constraints out there?
1: Um, I think right now it's mostly monetary constraints and also just finding people with time willing to support the organization in expanding. Um so we really we've we've always been um, a mobile organization in the sense that we never really had our own space. And so we were always limited in terms of things we could do. For instance With our programs, the education classes would rent other school spaces or people's garages to conduct our classes, which is right now our main focus is really building our women's center because with that, there's just so many opportunities that we could grasp into. For instance, we we do want to become more... um, do more with our, our tie dyed fabrics and we want to buy sewing machines but then to install that we need a space where we can store them, security and the like. We want to have a library, we want to have a community garden and so having a space is something that for us would bring so much growth and that's kind of our focus right now.
0: Too. Give our listeners a sense of what the what the you know the the space like mm-hmm. what what's the cost of that? You know, how much how much would would sure. that be?
1: So our total budget is twenty thousand US dollars. Last year we Actually, this year, I always think in terms of academic years, but um, <coughs> this year we did a fundraiser and we raised 5500 So we started the foundation and we have a wall that's about knee high. So we're trying to sell more fabrics and raise that rema- <laughs> remaining 15000 Um the, the way the space is going to operate is that during the during the day, we'll be using it as a workshop space, we'll have sewing machines, so if people want to sew clothes that they want to sell, and then at night, usually between 5pm and 8pm, we'll have night classes, secondary school education classes, so the women can continue to pursue their education. Um, other things that we do want to have on the space is a library just for access to books. Um, eventually, we want to collaborate with organizations such as Global Health Corps, who th- their fellows did help us raise money for building this space. And... Provide more health education classes. Um, things, things such as we don't, we don't have sex education in our education system. So, providing access to things such as those.
0: Hmm. What, mm-hmm. what, what's the? I don't want to get the the URL wrong. What's the, what's, mm-hmm. what's the URL for the for the site?
1: If you go to tuale.org, so t i w a dot o r g
0: tuale. Okay. T-W-A. Okay, and. Um, And you can make a donation on the site if you want. So if someone's listening to this, I mean, clearly the impact is enormous, Um, you know, the ability to to impact so many people's lives. Um, So I encourage you here to, I'm going to put the pitch out so Ellen doesn't have to, you know, go and make a donation. It's quite the the (laughs) story.
1: Yeah, please do support us, www.tuale.org.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Just as you're getting started with this, I mean, you mentioned mm-hmm. this. You're you're going off to to Mount Holyoke outside of Springfield, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. How did how does a woman from from Malawi find find <laughs> her way to what is it Southwestern Massachusetts?
1: Yes. Um. So our school is based in a town called South Hadley, Massachusetts. I when I was applying to Mount Holyoke, I mostly just looked at the website. I mean, I love my school, but then going <laughs> there, um. Our main town is just on one street, and so we started calling it House Sadly, Massachusetts. But um, so finding my way to to Mount Holyoke. So after my, um, after my time in Malawi studying Tuwale, to I took some time off, and I was working with San Francisco High School in, in San Francisco um, to set up their African Studies program. And so d- during that time, um, one of my one of my advisors w- did, was interested in the five college area and um, also had a partner who went to Smith. And so for me, just learning more about women's colleges and then working with Tuale, working with women, I was just very interested in what an education in a women's college could be like. And so I mostly looked at most of the women's colleges in the US and Mount Holyoke was kind enough to offer me a Great aid package, so, so that was encouraging to me.
0: Yeah. Are You, how many African students are there at at at, um, at Holyoke?
1: Well, I I don't know the number by heart, but um, our oh, school boy. is we have a large international population. Thirty three percent plus of the school population is international, and the African students co- community it's very big. I, I would say over 30, 40 people. Oh wow, that's yeah. more
0: than I would have expected. How, yeah. how big is the school itself? It's two
1: thousand five hundred okay. about
0: oh, So there, there is a real community that's great mm-hmm. um, and you know how did you ensure that you could grow and thrive you know you 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 mm-hmm. built something you're you know you're building this community center um, mm-hmm. people are building businesses there's a lot going on i mean was this was this this is your baby you know how, <laughs> <laughs> how how hard was it to walk away and how did you how did you ensure that it could it could thrive
1: sure so Walking away was quite a challenge. As I said, that even I was challenged where sometimes it felt that I had to choose between my education and my project. Um, I think what's been very important has been accepting that now I have limitations and really allowing more room for people, other people to support us. And so being back home right before I left for Mount Holyoke, it was really essential to find people that were willing to support. So we collaborated a lot with... Um, Malawians who I could say have been successful in their careers and are willing to give back and support local communities. Um, my mom is also very involved with Tuale now. She now she, now she loves it. She's like, oh, she's. Most of the women call her mother as well, and so <laughs> she has also been very helpful in helping us maintain things on ground, manage the team on ground, and then usually we have bi weekly Skype meetings. Um, I also visited just a few months ago and. Honestly, I, w- what was what was hurtful as well as inspiring to me was being back and then realizing soon this organization won't need me. And I think for me, it's like it's definitely reaching my goal, but it's also a little sad. I was like, "Really, you guys are doing this well without me?" Yeah. Mm.
0: So, so where did you leave it? Like when you mm. walked away, where did it stand mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of programming and staff, and and then and where is it today?
1: Sure. So. Um, when I was leaving, we had just become registered as a community-based organization. We had a micro-loan program every four months, but um, we didn't have any, any um, I would say, continuous programs. So the micro-loans, we would go through a business education training pro- um, for two weeks, and then eventually the women would be challenged to um, this micro-loan grant challenge for 10 weeks where they would start a business and then have to repay us every week about... 10% of that um, that loan. And so after becoming registered, something that we wanted to do was become more than just um, this program that comes in and out and really become community-based in a sense. So we were registered as the official community-based organization for the community in the long way. And so as a CBO, we really wanted to become more personal also in the community. So for instance, we would have Tuale representatives and Tuareg committee members at things such as weddings, funerals, um, other kinds of celebrations, or or um, other kinds of happenings that would were going on within the community. And then, but what we really wanted was um, just a way for the organization to grow closer and also be more regular. So right now we meet every Friday afternoon where we do the tie dyeing classes, which is one thing that developed while I was. I was here in the U.S. Um, The women found a local trainer who was willing to teach everyone how to tie-dye fabric. And um, for me, it was like, okay, cool. As long as you all say it's going to work. (laughs) And so um, right now, I think what I would say I I noticed has happened without me is that everyone has gotten very close. And twilight women have become very close friends, which is inspiring to me.
0: So a few months ago you presented Bono with an <laughs> award at a gala mm-hmm. uh, that also included president Carter among the honorees mm-hmm. um Bono turned around and gave the award back to you I, I imagine that was a pretty surprising turn of events uh you know was there any like pushing and shoving like no you take it Bono no you no you take it you, you take mm-hmm. it Ellen um mm-hmm. you know what, what was that what was the, I said in jest of course but what was that what was that experience like to to receive an award that was intended for Bono from Bono
1: i I felt it was it is it was a magical moment where I was very speechless and it was just I just could not believe what was happening half <laughs> the time and people Imagine. were taking pictures and it, just to receive an award from bono who is just a true hero i um I was just very overwhelmed with emotions things for me it it felt very unreal that this was all happening all at once and yeah, he, he knew so much about Tuwale because he not only presented the award, but he also mentioned a bit about what Tuwale does and what has inspired him to present the award. And the fact that our story has gotten so far, um, one of the world's greatest band leaders, you two, it's just, it's, um, Thinking back for four years ago, this is not something that I would have right. imagined. We we were really just on papers,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, right. And uh, you should you should sh- hit hit bottom up for the donation in the, in the donation drive. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <no. laughs> Um. So I, you know, you've 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 probably, you have a year left. At, actually, you've got. Let's talk about your internship quickly before that. So, mm-hmm. you, you're, you're an intern at now at do something.org. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that you're the only intern at do something that has received an award from Bono um, mm-hmm. and to be on the Forbes 30 30 30 30 under 30 for Africa. Mm-hmm. Why take an internship at this point? Are there people kind of coming by your desk and saying, like, oh, mm-hmm. you did you did that? Like, what, you know, why are you why are you interning here? But I mean, why not go back for the summer and mm-hmm. and help build to Wally? What's the thought process?
1: Sure. Yeah, so I have always admired do something.org. It's um, the world's largest not for profit for young people. Um, they have about 5.4 million users. And um, what I really admire about Do Something is also their sustainability model where they um, collaborate with um, corporate organizations and do these campaigns. And the organization is very, it's very sustainable, the model. And which is something that I want to learn more about. So how to make Tuale become more self sustained. And um I realized that I learned better by watching what other people are doing and observing and really getting the insights. And so having the opportunity to work at Do Something just this summer, it's been very inspirational. I think my biggest takeaway working with them has been the importance of a strong, passionate team. Just um looking at how the stuff know do something a to z and um everyone's really dedicated to the cause has really inspired me to also build a team like that and so I could I could have taken this summer maybe stayed with a host family and really worked on building Tuale but then I would still be running around the same ideas but being somewhere I feel I feel like every um every every founder or someone that's running or in any leadership position, should always be looking to learn more, read more, and so working with Do something for me. It's a growth experience where I'm being challenged. The way I've always approached things to start looking at other ways that we could approach things as an organization.
0: So with one year, this is, you're going to your senior year at Mount yes. Holyoke now, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> with one year left, and you've got you know friends like Bono. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. What's the post Mount Holyoke plan?
1: Yeah, the post Mount Holyoke plan. So. Um, I would. I definitely want to. So, right now, especially just this next year, we want to make um to make Twilight really um to really to really increase our in- income generation into the organization. And how we want to do this is really make our fabric wall hangers a thing for college students. So we want to get on something like a Buzzfeed list where every every student that is entering college or is in college, if they're going to buy a tapestry, they're going to buy it from Tuale and support the organization. And so in that sense, for us, we'll be able to reach more women, really accomplish our goals, such as building our women's center, but also just the people, everyone has always worked on a volunteer basis. And so, you know, I also do need to be fed at some point. And so um, m- making it also an income source. And so in this is what I'm working on in the next year. And, Hopefully, by the time I'm graduating, we'll be somewhere with that goal. And so continuing to work on Tuale in that sense, I'm not sure about where I'll be. Maybe maybe I'll use my OPT and work here for a year. But um, because most of our market is U.S.-based, I really do want to work on building that market. And so one year, one extra year would be very helpful towards that.
0: Do you have a sense like are there are there just dozens of of other you know Ellens out there waiting <laughs> you know if we, if we wrote checks for twelve hundred dollars in another country or even just like another region within Malawi you know could a program get off the ground or was there something really special about this particular situation?
1: Um, I I don't think my situation was special in in any sense, but I. I I would love to highlight that um, I did have opportunities of mentors and having access to inspiration. So I went to African Leadership Academy in South Africa, which was a school that was set up to encourage the next generation of African leaders. And so the way it works is that ALA, which is the short form of it, takes students from almost every country on the continent and they bring you for this intensive two year program on leadership training, entrepreneurship training and African studies. And during that time you we have guest speakers such as um founders of different organizations, um, leaders on the continent. And so it's always a very inspiring experience. Um everyone's brainstorming ideas on how we as young people could get involved on the continent. And I've also attended things such as the Global Change Makers Conference, which is a training for young people. And so I think um if we have more young people that are exposed to such a, you know, even just um, more more accomplished people reaching out to young people and being taking mentorship roles and really really showcasing that young people can 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 take action even when they're young, then then we can have unfortunately millions of me or some, something like that. But um, I think it's very important to really um to really be playing the role of inspiring more young people to that. They can accomplish whatever dreams they have, even right now.
0: And so, you know, continuing to kind of look, you know, mm-hmm. we talked about your what were the next steps for you. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of the big vision for for Tuoli, when you have this mm-hmm. amazing center coming up, and I think hopefully in January mm-hmm. 2017, mm-hmm. Um, you know, where does where does Tuoli go? How big can it get? How big can the impact be?
1: Sure. So um, right now we're in one community in Syriza. And um, this is where we're building the Women's Centre. So right now, we've been working with roughly 150 women. Um, People are in and out because the community is not that well settled. And so for the next few years, one thing is really really been a source of um, any kind of opportunity to mostly young women within that community. And so really um, more people attending our classes at night, more people becoming involved in our skills training programs. So reaching out to that community and really empower, empowering the women of that community that they're able to um, give back to their own community. So for instance, our dream is to have nurses that were maybe trained through Tuale or even doctors, and then they come back and say, oh, this is where it all started, um, lawyers and the like. And so really growing um, the next the next people that will impact the community from from Tuale And then eventually if we've been successful in series and moving on to other communities. But the thing is, um, with Tiwale what's very important to us is that we really do defeat that income, that, um, poverty line, um, your proximity to the poverty line because with most organizations they do come in and then there's an impact but it's small and then you find that some kind of emergency happens and someone's back below the poverty line and so for us it's really push people out of that and would rather focus on 150 women but they truly grow than to have 1000 people and then everyone's kind of just a little bit better but not exactly fully out of that kind of stress yeah
0: Ellen, it's an amazing story. Um, Thank you. And, and I really, again, I'll be making a donation today. I suggest that, yes, <laughs> I suggest that other people go to, go to, uh, go to Um, T I W A L E? Yes. Okay. Dot org. Um, check it out and, uh, and make a donation as well. It's a truly impactful organization. I mean, I don't think I'll ever forget the example you gave earlier from the, about the chickens. That's just, it's amazing. <laughs> That's like a perfect example of how, effective microloans can be yeah. um, and mm-hmm. and so yeah thanks for sharing the story and no. and, uh, and joining us today and it's truly truly inspirational
1: sure no thank you for having us and letting us share our story it's just it's always nice for for us to know that that many people are willing to listen to what we've done <laughs> it's
0: it's amazing um, so yeah we'll keep thanking each other as we uh, <laughs> as, as, the, as the music comes in we'll keep thanking each other Sure. <laughs> <laughs>